Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. It is CISO Thursdays. Say hi to everybody. Everybody's here today. I'm Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping awesome leaders hire great talent. We will go around the horn. James Azar is here. Good morning. Happy Thursday. It's Thursday. Happy Thursday. Brent Hutfless is here. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, Friday Eve. It is Friday Eve. <laughs> it is Friday Eve. Naomi Buck Walter is here. Hey, it's good to be here, Renee. Super exciting. And my lovely co-host, brother from another mother, Chris Folan, is here. Last but not least, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not least. Definitely not least. Help start this thing. Yeah. So we were having some fun talking right before we joined. Apologies for joining so late. It was my fault. Um, And we're just talking about, let's see, veterans, helping veterans get hired, all that fun stuff. James Azar just finished his Veterans Month. So had all these awesome veterans come on to his podcast. You guys have got to listen to some of these, all of them, quite frankly. James, you can talk about that one. And then Brent is also a veteran. So thank you for your service, too. Yeah. Thank you. Go for it, James. Veteran November wrapped up. 30 veteran interviews over the course of the month. A one very late Zoom call with just veterans that... If you're a veteran and you remember your army, uh, your your military camaraderie, then that's exactly what it was. And it was a blast and it was humbling. And every single story was amazing. Um, I got to tell you, like, I thought I knew the military, but no, no. Like, there were stories in here that I was just like, wow. I was, you know, guys that have went homeless and now started their own company and are entrepreneurs and people that played pro sports like AJ on who we had on a few weeks ago and now has his own organization and CISOs that, you know, are Marines and now are CISOs. And that's a scary thought because, you know, Marines, the CISOs, scary, um, fun stuff, very humbling. Um, and a project that I'll be doing every year. And we do have our LinkedIn groups. So if you're a veteran and you're watching and or you're trying to, you know, you're a veteran who or you're still an active dude and you want to break into InfoSec Cybersecurity uh, Veteran Network on LinkedIn is our group. You can join in and be, you know, get mentorship. We have, you know, CISOs to, you know, security engineers to business owners all there. Awesome. Awesome. Justin Jones needs to be a part of that group. I got to make sure that he's connected because he's been helping um, veterans non-stop literally open up resumes open up job descriptions and kind of just going in and helping folks out so that's pretty awesome um next discussion we could jump into our hot topic for today which is that trusty lovely article from the wall street journal that came out um talking about how difficult it is to break into cybersecurity. So we were joking around before this saying that they probably were listening to us because we saw a lot of the quotes in there <laughs> that looked very much like what we've been talking about. I mean, Brent chimed in last week, the reason why he's here a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about some of these topics, so talking about, as usual, we're here pretty much every week talking about all of this. So Naomi, you want to kick it off with this one? Oh, man, this article hit me in all the feels. 
<laughs> yeah, and the fact that they're validating what we're saying means that this is not a topic that's going away anytime soon. And the fact that it hit the Wall Street Journal, which is a, a mainstream media like news outlet, that this is um, affecting more than just cybersecurity professionals. So um, you've heard this all the time, this argument that there's not enough cybersecurity professionals for all the job openings that we have and like who's to blame, right? And then trying to find someone to blame on that very some very easily sometimes just falls on the applicants themselves. They're saying, oh, they don't have the skills. Um, you know, like the, the hiring managers and the companies need these unicorns that we call them, people who have all the skills already, years of experience without uh, actually working anywhere somehow. So, it, you know, just the fact that the applicants have this pressure and the stress to have the perfect uh, skills and all the requirements that the companies are looking for, you know, what is that actually doing to our industry? What is this doing to other uh, industries, the employers that are hiring us? But we're still having breaches. We still have high levels of stress. Our teams are still understaffed. You know, what are we actually doing here? So this article was just about the gaps in cybersecurity skills and what what really are those gaps? Like who are creating these gaps? What's the reason for them? What can we do to fix them? Awesome points, questions. <sighs> who wants to take a stab at? Who wants to be the first one to- Brent, uh, I want to hear Brent. Yeah. To jump in. I, th I think we're all wanting to hear Brent. Yeah. <laughs> all right, sure. Well, I'll jump in then. So one of the things that, uh, you know, I think I've encountered the same thing that everybody else has, you know, when you're when you're dealing with your HR and your recruiting teams, uh, just kind of that overall level of frustration is like, all right, well, we've got this uh, job description out there. It's been out there for months. We can't seem to find any qualified candidates. Uh, you know, what, you know, what are we doing wrong? You know, do we need to go to a, to a talent agency? How do, how do we need to change this? And um, I know one of the things that I've had to do. Uh, just in, in my current role and in previous roles uh, was work far more closely with the HR and recruiting teams uh, so that they understand kind of the skill sets that we're looking for and not to prejudge or pre-screen some of the candidates out of that candidate pool so that we actually have some better candidates uh, that may not have made, you know, the, the 10 list of uh, must-haves on, on the checklist that the recruiters are going through um, but, you know, I think this is something that's just in, in indicative of, um, and I hate to say HR and, and recruiters, but it's, unless you're a technology recruiter, uh, and specifically a cybersecurity recruiter, it's tough to, to recruit effectively for cybersecurity. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of one of those black box fields. A lot of what we do is, uh, like magic uh, to, to so many people that from a recruiting standpoint, it, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, I've talked to a number of recruiters about that, you know, how, how, how we can help them as cyber professionals recruit better uh, for our industry. And, and even doing that, it's still a challenge uh, despite all of the talent out there. Yep. I agree with you, Brent. Um, I think that, as a cybersecurity recruiter, the cybersecurity—that's right, <laughs> the cybersecurity. Yeah. But I have a question, Renee. Like, why do you think it's why is it hard to recruit for cybersecurity? Like, 
it's not just a subset of IT. I think it is a specialized, uh, you need a little bit of everything in IT, right? But what do you think is the one or two things that makes it really hard? So I can tell you what made it hard for me when I first started um, and what I hear from peers who are, especially people who are first starting. So Brent made a good point. Step one is if you're internal in an organization, especially a small organization where you might be one of a, a few recruiters, some organizations make recruiter, recruiters fungible. And so they move you around. So one minute you're recruiting like an accounting manager, the next minute you're recruiting an administrative assistant and then, oh yeah, and by the way, this cybersecurity analyst thing, right? <laughs> so, you know, you're not gonna get deep enough. You're not gonna get in depth. Um, it's relatively easy to kind of understand accounting, um, you know, some of the technology stuff. Even I can tell you going, to, gosh, almost 20 years back to tech recruiting initially, Java developers and stuff, it was kind of difficult. Like, what is front end? What is back end? What is middle, middleware? Like, what does all of this stuff mean? When I see it on a resume, what does this, how do I, how do I determine what resumes look like this person is the right fit? So technology, you know, when you talk about technology recruiting as a whole, a lot of the times, especially the bigger organizations, they'll have just tech recruiting, um, which is its own, you know, subset from regular recruiting. So you have regular recruiting where you can recruit an HR person, a marketing person, an accounting person, all that. Then you got your tech recruiters. Then, as Brent pointed out, and we've all pointed out, cybersecurity is another subset of that because it's different. It's completely different, confusing to most. Most people think it's one big mystery. I mean, when I got it, I thought it was a mystery. Um, I tell this story all the time. I've been a tech recruiter for forever, showed up at Freddie in 2011. They handed over cybersecurity and said it was so difficult. And I'm laughing because to myself because I was like, oh, I recruited it for JP Morgan Chase, for Citigroup's Investment Bank, for, I mean, places where you talk about fast pace, you talk about, you know, <laughs> like your head spinning around like a top. And they're like, oh, cybersecurity. And I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm from New York, like whatever. And so this thing shows up. I'm completely confused. I was just like, what does this stuff mean? What is this, you know, how does this resume even match this? Is this even, I had to, what Brent did, what James did, what Naomi, what you do, everybody, I had to go sit with the security people. Like I went to their staff meetings. I sat with them. I had one person who he was phenomenal. He would come down and he would sit next to me and I would literally go through all the resumes. Okay, why does this, what do you see in this that you don't see in that? What do you see in this one that looks like it's a fit? Okay, if I saw this, it wouldn't, you know, if I looked at it, I would decline this person. Why did you want to see this person? And so that takes time. Like it took months for me to kind of figure out, have a decent footing and understand what incident response meant, identity access management meant, what it's supposed to look like on a resume, all of that. Um, so, and that's just the resumes coming in. And as we know, people aren't even really applying to jobs. So now I got to go hunt for these people. I have to go look for them. And it's a whole different ball game. You know how many pings you, Brent, Naomi, James, and Chris get from people like me on a daily basis. Like, hey, we want you, you know. So that in and of itself is like, how many people do you have to reach out to for four to respond, you know? Um, so when you talk about, <laughs> looking at the comments, unicorns don't want to go hunting. Um, so when you talk about all of that, 
that's what really makes um, you know cybersecurity recruit you know so difficult, and it's even more difficult when you're recruiting generalists. So if you're in some small company and you you know as a tech recruiter, at least I was tech, so then I already had some in you know some some understanding of this. I was tech and financial services. I was able to get the cybersecurity person to sit next to me and say, "What does this stuff mean?" go to the meetings, go to their staff meetings, you know, all that stuff to kind of understand, okay, like, what are they talking about here? When they're talking about these breaches and these incidents, I mean, think about this. The general person has no idea. I mean, now it's getting more popular, but even, I don't know, how long ago was that? T almost 10 years ago, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I was like, what, what does this mean? Like, but you want the extra mile to understand the life of a cybersecurity professional. Like how many recruiters are actually doing that? Like probably not many. Very few. Yeah, is that so? That's the reason, right? Like they don't understand us, right? Not they. Yeah. But, you know. yeah. Well, we need to share out our information better. Maybe we're not sharing the information. I mean, I think it's on. It's what I think it goes two ways, right? So when you're just like how your job is full of a bunch of things, these recruiters are full of a bunch of their jobs are full of a, a bunch of things. So if you are, especially a smaller company with a handful of recruiters, and a recruiter typically has one recruiter usually on average has about twenty job openings. So 20 recs, you got potentially have 20 different hiring managers. Sometimes it's multiple jobs for one hiring manager, but think about that, right? So you have 20 people who need your time um, and you have to you know, source resumes or figure out which roles, okay, this accounting manager, they're looking for this, this you know, HR person is looking for this, these people want this kind of administrative assistant, like that's their world. So then you have to carve out a piece of like, okay, how do I learn about cybersecurity in this headache, quote unquote, headache of a role or this, these, you know, confusing people over here that I don't even, I can't, this looks like Greek to me. Like this doesn't even look like it's English. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so it would be behoove the managers to sometimes, especially in those kind of scenarios, meet with the person, like schedule the meetings twice a week, go through the resumes with them. Okay, let's look, you know, let's look at all the resumes that came in and then show people, hey, this is how you, this is how you recruit. Um, unfortunately, and, and, and James and I, I think we talked about like the multiple jobs of a CISO, of a security leader, you know, you're working 80 hours a week. Do you have time to do this? But, you know, you got to give somewhere and be able to have to partner with your HR teams um, to give them some kind of insight because the vast majority of people do not know. Um, and I will say one more thing about job descriptions before I kick it over to everybody else and start because there's tons of comments here. Um, the job description game is it should be, and I and I read that article the other day, and I know James talked about this, I think Naomi and some other people, I don't know, Brent, if you talked about it too, but people have made comments about the fact that HR is changing job descriptions. And I think that is absolutely ridiculous. I think that HR should not be touching job descriptions other than if there is, there's been some, um, there are some tools right now that are like de-gender or making them more like gender equal. Mm -hmm. So when you say, oh, we're looking for rock stars and we're looking for this and that, that it tends to attract more men and they're like neutralizing that. Um, and then other than that, I would say, and then like um, grammatical errors, but the pure like you need a, and, and obviously the degree situation, which we've had discussions around that, that's a com typically a company-wide thing. Um, other than that, HR shouldn't be touching job descriptions. 
We sh you should not. HR people should not be touching them. They should just literally take whatever the hiring manager says before it's posted, make the hiring manager double check. Hey, I just made a couple of things here in regards to gender, in regards to this, that, you know, in regards to grammatical error errors, please reread and then post. There should be no HR adding on stuff. That's crazy because if somebody came to me and I was, I'm a hiring manager and I'm hiring like junior recruiters and they start tacking on that they need master's degrees and stuff. It's like, who told you that I, that they need a master's degree? Like, I know what I'm what looking happened for. What happens when the hiring manager doesn't want to create a job description? Then why are you, and why? So then why are you hiring? How are you hiring somebody? You can't create a job description. No, I mean, that that's part of the, the, the chicken and egg situation we, we talked about a while ago, right? Is that you have some hiring managers that um, they don't want to go through the trouble of creating a job description or they reuse the job description and or the skills and competencies of the individual that left um, thinking that's what the needs of the team, the team is. And the role initially was classified as for an entry level person, but now they're gone, they're no longer entry level. Um, now you have that all of that going back around. But but let's let's be real. I mean, one of the challenges that we're seeing right now isn't in the entry level positions, right? It's in the it's in the mid level positions, and not having enough people or enough experience for that middle management slot, right? So we want someone with ten years experience in cyber to lead a team, and you're like cyber threat intel wasn't taken seriously in organizations until about three years ago yeah so now you're trying to get someone with 10 years of experience because the company has some unwritten rules somewhere within hr that says for someone to have a director title or a vice president title they got to have 10 years of experience and so they're not adjusting to the reality um of the situation, which is you're not going to find someone with 10 years of experience. You're going to find someone with three years, four years of experience. And those are the veterans of the cyber threat Intel in a corporate environment. Um, and, and that's just, that's where the job gap is. The job gap isn't at the entry level because at the entry level, you're able to bypass that there's enough vendors and MSSPs. And I see that, and I'm speaking to candidates now more than ever, and I'm not seeing the job challenge be in the entry-level places you know and, and one of the things that the wall street journal article talks about is well you know they're asking everyone for a cissp and like i said i think they were listening to our show and they just quoted us without giving us credit and i want i i did write our names in a comment on the wall street journal and said all of this was discussed on linkedin prior to the writing of this article by renee small naomi buckwalter chris <laughs> falana james azar please click this link <laughs> to go see this we did a better job okay um <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> that's true but but there, one of the things that I think some of the more mature companies do is they separate people management and technical management. Um, it's it's one thing that I, I think a lot of technical people have is that they don't know how to manage people. They can manage process, they can manage technology, but when it comes to um, understanding the human psyche and how to motivate an individual and how to understand where you're coming from and to motivate them to where you're going or help them find their way 
there's a lot of technical managers that don't know how to do that. And in working in some of the larger companies, I've seen that they've done that to great success. And that gets lost with your smaller and medium-sized companies just because of the number of headcount that it needs for that to happen. But I think it still could be done in, in a modified way that you have, um, I saw it done in a smaller organization where you had someone in, in, in HR that does the people management part and they work with the technical manager for assessments and things like that, but they helped with the growth part, they helped with the team management part and they weren't treated by the organization like, oh, that's HR. They were, they were in, a, in a capacity of, they were managing the people resources, the team resources of that organization. It's almost like a PM, like a matrix type of environment. I've seen those in the past where you have a HR man, not an HR manager, usually like a PM or a training manager, somebody else that's in partnership with the technical person so that they can kind of look at overall, like minus the technical aspect, the growth aspect, the, the talent management aspect of um, of the organization. So I am going to shout people out. There's tons of comments coming in here. Um, hey, Ben, good morning. Aaron says Friday Eve. He thought that was cool, Brent. Good point, Brent. Felicia says that when you were making some points earlier. Hello, all. It's been a while. Hey, Macman. Uh, Felicia, on the other hand of the end of the fence, as someone transitioning, I've applied to a few positions and the common response I have received was that I do not have any technical experience or not enough. I have a wealth of leadership skills, project management, budgeting, people skills, et cetera, but it appears that cybersecurity predominantly equals technology know-how. Thoughts? But, but that's, go ahead, Brent. I think you were about yeah, to speak. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say that uh, that's kind of a, it's a mistake I think a lot of organizations make, uh, whether they do it intentionally or not, is take people from a technical role and after a certain number of years or uh, a certain amount of experience, they put them into a management position, whether it's middle management, supervisory role, what have you. And whether uh, they've ever had any experience managing people uh, or managing projects, taking somebody and transitioning them from a technical position into a management position where you're dealing with an entirely different set of problems. Uh, and, and you're having to essentially take a lot of the technical that uh, those people have loved and grown on professionally and push that to the wayside is uh, it's problematic. So some people want to stay very technical as managers and, and others, you know, they, they can make that transition into that, um, I guess those, this, they can uh, adopt those soft skills that are required for those positions to be successful. But you have a lot of that, uh, I think for multiple reasons, one being there, there, there's only a limited budget. You, you want to, if you're a smaller company, you want to take advantage of, of the technical knowledge this person has, uh, as well as leverage, you know, their management capabilities for the, for the team that they have. Uh, and then the other is, well, you know, if, if you've got a technical manager, and that's all that company's ever known is having those technical managers, it's hard to bring that cultural change of, we really need somebody who can handle uh, the soft skills, the actual uh, budget management, HR portion of these technical teams, of these cybersecurity teams, 
uh, you know, just around recruiting and everything else. Um, right. and- yeah, but but you do need to have a little bit of technical experience to lead a cyber team. I mean, not ha- putting someone who has project management skills or leadership skills on a technical team. Yeah, they might be able to interact with the people, but they can't effectively lead a project if you don't know how to get if you don't know the path to it. You know, there, there's a little bit of technology skills that are needed in cyber the fact that you know we don't need you to have keyboard skills right you don't need to be a red team or a blue team or a purple teamer but you do need to know technology so like to felicia's point here um if, if she's you know watching um is get some technical skills go get you know some some level of technical certification to add to it even a security plus or a network plus will do um because that gives you just a you'll know enough of the basics in, te- in technology to be able to to overcome that and you'll learn on the job. I mean, the one thing about cybersecurity is you don't get into this position if you're lazy. You don't get into this industry if you're lazy. You don't get into this industry if you don't enjoy learning and you don't get into this industry to be complacent. If you do all three of those, you're going to be on the cover of the next, you know, cyber website as the guy who is responsible for the next breach that happened somewhere. Cuz <laughs> if you're cuz you just you can't be complacent. No. Um, and, and you can't be you can't be ever satisfied with the knowledge you got. You have to always be asking yourself why. And if you don't ask yourself the why, then this isn't the career for you. I'll add that to James's point for technical folks in general. I'll say that they will respect you a lot more if you do have a technical background, if you can do both the soft and the hard skills. The most effective cybersecurity leaders are very good and playing in both worlds, the executive world the business world, and then the technical world. They need to be the translator between the tech and the business to make those decisions, to make the strategy really happen. So I'll just say, like, if you're down with in the weeds with the, the tech folks and you can understand them and you can talk with them, uh, they will respect you that much more, the guys and yeah. girls there. 100% agree, Naomi. My leader who transitioned me from HR into um, security, I say this all the time, he sent me immediately to Network Plus class and Security Plus, and he said, before I even got started, you have to learn this stuff or else they will not respect you. Like, I want you to come in and I want you to, it, verbatim, exactly what you said, Naomi. He's like, I want you to come in. I want you to do this. You know, you're going to be leading this team. You're going to be doing a lot of this other stuff, PM type, you know, um, uh, other things, like not hardcore technical, but you have to understand it or else they will not respect you. And it's a uh, the number one thing. Um, so wholeheartedly agree with that. You don't have not, to not condoning that, by the way. Like technical folks should have more of an open mind. Yeah. It's just no, like, I mean, no. but it's true. Like if I have somebody, if you guys start coming in, you know, people think they're recruiting. It's funny. They think recruiting is easy. Oh, I can do it. Anybody could do it, right? And then they realize six months later, no, everybody can't do it. So I understand what you're saying. Somebody comes in and they're, you know, you know, on top of me saying, hey, you know, you should be doing this, this, and this. It's like, this is an expertise. Like, you know, there's recruiting and then there's recruiting. I could, yeah, if you want people to apply and I could send you a stack of resumes, that's one aspect. Getting somebody understanding what they're, what makes them tick, why they would want to leave, all of the things that go into recruiting isn't posting jobs and getting people to come. Like, any, anybody could do that. 
like the seasoned people who know what they're doing are doing much more than that. And it takes a level of skill. So I, I get it. I get what you say in terms of I wouldn't respect somebody that just shows up and they're like, oh, well, do this all of a sudden. Well, you, you need you need to have soft skills and and, and actual technical skills Both. to do it effectively. Yeah. No, and, and, and I agree with uh, James and Naomi Bolt uh, about uh, those points. But I think that's where we have still a, a gap uh, in the number of people that are available. And, you know, James, to your earlier point about the three years, you know, if, if you've got three years of experience working in security, you're, you're a veteran at this point <laughs> in the field. And um, trying to find or nurture those, uh, those soft skills and people who are um, technical or kind of, um, you know, cut their teeth in a technical uh, fashion can be, can be difficult. Some people have a hard time making that transition. Yep. Uh, no, I agree with you on that for sure, Brent. Um, okay, so Craig says, hey all, Renee, your commitment to learning your field is amazing. I strongly think most others don't have that level of commitment and struggle to understand their vacancies. Um, Craig, thank you, I agree. I think recruiting is one of these feels that sometimes um, it's it, the barrier to entry is relatively low. People, um, you know, talk about passion or whatever. They're not really overly passionate about it. And, you know, they're just trying to, Chris has to run. Bye, Chris. Bye, Chris. Uh, Bye, Chris. Bye. Uh, that folks are, um, they, you know, it, it, it's just difficult. And I like those. I like the wacky jobs. Like it, it's it's enjoyable for me. Not to say cybersecurity is wacky, but these things that are more of a challenge um, are cool for me. Cybersecurity so, is a blast. It is a blast. I love you guys. Uh, Floyd Brown says amazing content. Thank you, Floyd. Mac Man, talk about the stress and confusion as candidates. They won't let us in. LOL. Eventually, you will find the right company for you. That's some making some comments here. Um, Steve Upshaw, if there is such an extreme demand for cybersecurity positions, why don't doesn't the industry work with the Department of Education to develop a cybersecurity vocation, like two-year program for high school students, sort of like automatic mechanics, cosmopolity, cosmetology, and welding vocations? Amen, hallelujah, Stephen. I one hundred. Someone wants the government to do something and teach people <laughs> something and think that it's going to get done in a timely manner. <laughs> I don't know what planet Stephen lives on. I don't know what government he's looking at. You know, you want the Department of Education to do something? Good luck with that, man. I think the market answers to that. And and just a kind of a knock on the vocational stuff. Most of the vocational programs that the Department of Education built for high school student was designed for people who um, had learning disabilities or really didn't excel in STEM but wanted to give them an opportunity to learn something and do something at, at, out of the high, out of high school right away because they knew that college wasn't for them. So it was more of an economic support than it was to fill a job gap. Was that the case, though, in like the 60s, 70s, like way back? When yeah, because they needed on? more auto mechanics and they needed – that's why you <laughs> see these – that's why it's still – the listen, it's still the same vocational pro programs from the 40s and 50s. It's yeah. 2020. Right. right. So the Department of Education here, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for the government to actually run like a business, but it doesn't. It, it it's it's a slow ship that moves extremely, extremely slow. Unreal. Felicia, thank you for shedding light. So, 
Dutch agree that hiring managers can also do more. What's more important in your hiring decision? That's from when Chris asked about that. AJ Yawn, hi to my favorite people in cybersecurity. Hey, AJ. Hey, AJ. <laughs> AJ's Everybody killing it. AJ's so killing dry. it. He is. Yeah, he's doing great. <laughs> um, I think clearances slow people down from getting the job. Well, clearances is its own special beast. We're talking about roles that don't need clearances. Although, can a, you imagine if every cyber role required a clearance? Then we wouldn't. We would Forget just it. Uh, lights out. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to have a secret clearance. Yeah, good luck. Let's call the uh, Department of Defense and the FBI and the Department of Education to start processing those. You'll yeah. get a job in 10 and a half years from exactly. now. <laughs> we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, into, we'll all be cybersecurity professionals. Uh, Dutch says all the wonderful people. Dutch is awesome. He's going to be on the show soon. Um, Craig Evans says, I agree also, Renee, I think some of the hiring managers advocate responsibilities to recruiters who don't fully understand what they are recruiting for. Not all, of course, but you do see it. I agree with that 100%. And yep. it is... Ridiculous. If you want I actually to- had a, a nice experience yesterday. I was interviewing for a position that's open and um, a recruiter sat in on our, our interview and nice. I was like, uh, when are you going to leave? But the, she stayed the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't say anything, but she's like, I'm just going to sit here and listen. So we, yeah, I gave him a technical interview and he nailed it. And the whole time she was sitting there taking notes and I'm just like, okay, I, I like this recruiter. This is great. You know? Yeah. And I, Definitely look forward to more of what she can bring me because she's give, giving me the extra mile and I love yeah. it. Did, awesome. did the candidate find that weird that the recruiter was in the room kind of I was feeling away? weird. I don't know. I was weird about it. I was like, no, this is a secret conversation, but it wasn't. I was like, wait, no, you can, yeah, it, it was fine. And, and it was actually really easy because I'm like, hey, can you hold on for five minutes after the guy left? Can we just speak really quick? And I'm like, I want to move forward with this person. It was just a lot faster than just like the email afterwards, you know, so I liked it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, Savage James, Lincoln, they're laughing. They're making jokes. Dutch says, yep, uh, let's see. <laughs> Dutch says, oh, it's wacky when I talked about cybersecurity being wacky. <laughs> <laughs> the wacky world of cybersecurity. Uh, let's see. Hire military folks in tech positions. Michael Bay says these veterans can manage people and manage technology. That is very true. Do you know where the term soft skills come from? Anyone know? I don't know. The military. The military was developed by the U.S. military between 1968 to 1972. Nice. Doesn't everything comes out of the military? Right. It seems like it. It seems like it. Everything. Maybe Um, it's because, you know, they... You know, they, they take just average people in America and turn them into superhumans. That that's the thing. That's why it's that's why I say this every single day when I, as I think about cybersecurity as a whole and this so called talent gap and all this other stuff. It's like the military does it. Tax account, you know, it gets done. So let's act like it can't get done. Um, Dutch says we used to have internships for IT. The bubble burst in '99, wiped those out. You could go to large companies, GE, Boeing, Lockheed, Arrow, and learn IT. Dutch, you can still do that. They still do the larger companies. Even during a pandemic, I was reading about um, large insurance company. I cannot remember which one, but they kept their internship program. They still brought on, you know, I don't know, fifty, a hundred, how many ever interns into their uh, organization remotely and they were like hey these are the way the times are going to be and 
you know, we don't know when we'll be back in person. And so they gave their interns the experience of this is what work will likely be like. Um, how, many, how many of those programs are actually targeting other groups than like college grads, like mid-career professionals, older folks? Like I, I don't see that but a you, lot. But you know why they stopped the IT internships? Because of the outsourcing of jobs. When oh. you could outsource to India and other countries and it's yeah. much, much cheaper, you have right. no need to bring in IT interns. Yep. Yeah. And it, we've got an IT security intern now, uh, but again, it's it's directly from uh, from the universities. You know, they're they're the ones yeah. who are who are actively seeking internships for their for their cyber uh, uh, graduates or uh, program members. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to the 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 universities that I've seen or the people who I've seen be successful universities and partnerships with universities and um, organizations are the ones that the organization partners with the universities. They are part of the curriculum. They're talking to them about, you know, they're helping build the curriculum. And then, so they take on the interns that are learning <laughs> what they want to see in their companies. And then they bring these people into the companies. You bring them in as interns. That's what internship programs are for. You anticipate, you know, okay, we want to hire 75% of the people we bring in, bring in juniors, give them offers at the end of the summer and say, hey, next year when you graduate, we want you to be our you know, group of interns that comes in and, and, and um, be our pipeline into the company. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. So Naomi, that's why you don't really see them doing it much for, you know, older workers or people who don't, who are not in a university setting. Yeah. Um, you might get a one or two coming out of other places, but typically they, they have their, their cohort that they bring in from certain, they go to certain universities because they're partnering with these universities. Yeah, that's how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Al says, actually, one of the vocational schools in our district that I work with offers that um, when he talks about vocational training, they partner with Cisco and CompTIA to assist students to getting into networking fundamentals and cybersecurity, which is, um, Al, that happens at a, a school that I work with too, Marshall High School. They also, they have a cybersecurity um, cohort, so to speak, and they get security certifications and some of the, the kids graduate with them. Um, and they have their partner, AWS is a part, one of the partners um, that comes in teaching kids about the cloud and all that good stuff. So, um, but it's not, it's not really fully vocational per se. It's like a, they call it like but a, it's not at scale. It's individual schools that, correct. you know, get, get a CompTIA to come in or get a Cisco to come in or get an AWS to come in because right. someone works at one of those companies that lives in the area that says, let's do a vocational program. Right. right. So these are like, you know, if we put them dots on the map that, you know, that's right. exactly what it's they would not, look like. It's not overall. No. Uh, Dutch says we should think hard about how we interview beyond just the technical questions. Are we searching for those competencies like learning on the fly, having difficult conversations, dealing with ambiguity, drive for results? Good points. I agree. So how does everybody else interview? Is it a one on one or do you do uh, panels or, or what do you use? I do one-on-one. -on -one. I've seen both. Yeah, pa panels, both. Are... panels are helpful because, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it it helps. I, I try to discourage too many people on a panel um, only because it could intimidate the, the, the you know, the person. Um, but it saves time and you get two different perspectives or a couple different perspectives um, at, at the same time. Uh, depending on the role, right? So... 
you know, if, if you're looking to bring in someone to lead a team, I may do a panel because I want to see how people, you know, navigate difficult, you know, situations where someone may disagree with them and how they handle that disagreement within the job interview. If it's, you know, entry level or, or mid-level roles that are not really really leadership kind of stuff. Um, I wrote on Naomi's post, if you, I think a month ago, I like to do them very intimate one-on-one and I don't with even, coffee, we don't, yeah. with a coffee, we don't even yep. sit in the office. We'll walk even, somewhere and get a cup of coffee and have a conversation and mm-hmm. come back. And we, I don't sit behind a desk. We'll sit in, you know, the couch uh, on, on, in the living room set that's in my office and we'll sit there and we'll have a conversation. I don't have a notepad next to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have their CV in front of me because I got everything I want from the CV. I have no reason to be like, tell me about the time you worked at so-and-so and what was that like? Um, I could care less. That's already on the piece of paper. I really want to see what the person is like. Can can they do they have the energy and the personality to fit in with the rest of the team? Mm-hmm. And can mm-hmm. they handle that adverse adversary? Because an interview is a very stressful position to be in, right? Yeah. You're you're in an interview position most of the time because you are out of a job. And so there's that aspect of a really need this job. So they come in and people almost are ready for the, you know, they Google or, or the recruiter will send them. Here's the 20 most likely questions you're about to get asked at this interview, right? <laughs> Tell me about a time you dealt with a difficult situation. What was it and how did you get over it? And I don't ask those questions. And so, um, and, and I like to kind of really get to know the person because at the end of the day, you know, if they have the drive and the motivation, then there's, there, there's something, to wor- there's someone to work with, even if they don't have all the skills. Because you can teach skills, but you yeah. can't teach drive, motivation, ambition, you know, always asking why. Right. I yeah. like it's Say passion. it louder for the people in the back, James. Yes. <laughs> totally true. Yeah, um, so, and I just wanted to answer uh, yeah. as well. So I've done both, uh, but I like panels. And uh, in my interviews, I, I usually try to grab two people from my team to go and and it doesn't matter whether it's a mid-level or entry-level position. Because one of the important things for me is seeing how that person is going to interact with the team. You know, get that kind of team vibe. Um, and if we take it, you know, because there's always that formal process. You have to go through that checklist uh, that HR gives you or the recruiting gives you. Okay, you need to ask these questions. All right. So we've, we've done that. I, I think in many ways it's easier sometimes if if you go in there with your team and it's like, look, this is going to be informal. We're going to try to put this person at ease. Just want to see how they're going to do. And that way you can pick up if there's going to be a, a good fit. Um, you know, some of my worst hires were ones that, you know, I, I went against my gut and you know, some things came up during yeah. the interview and you're like, God, I really need this position filled. I've been looking for six months. Um, <laughs> this person has all the right technical skills. This is going to be great. And then, you know, three months later, you got the position open up again. Yeah. Uh, By the way, you see that with a lot of CISO positions now. Yeah. Like literally, there's a, I get an alert <laughs> from LinkedIn. It's like, this company's looking for CISO. I'm like, didn't they have one? Like, they just hired somebody. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> Like yeah. they just hired someone. Like I literally wrote for someone, congrats for being the CISA for this company. What they're gone already. 
Like, what is going on here? I think I know who right? you're talking about. <laughs> I, I think I know, too. I, I've seen a couple of those recently. Um, Any so, high-profile names by chance? <laughs> oh, Ben says. <laughs> ben says they have a gigantic budget that no other government agency has. I think we were... We're talking about the military, which military. you're absolutely right. They do, but they do well with that budget. Yeah. And they they, you know they might be the only part of the government that actually knows how to use that money. PWC Amen. has a good, um, they've been doing it. They've been taking people from all different types of backgrounds, history, music, whatever, you know, um, when companies, big companies, not little companies, I understand the little company space um, and how you just have to be nimble and you have a budget and that kind of stuff. But when I hear big companies talking about they are trying to figure this out, I'm like, you don't want to fix the problem because they, the big companies are getting it done. Yeah. Um, Dutch is saying, but the security internships are weak sauces as an industry, we are failing. Yeah. Indeed, Dutch. We are Bingo, Naomi. I know, bingo, Naomi. Uh, so you're missing veterans without degrees, people returning to work from being stay-at-home parents, those who are transitioning from other domains. They're literally people in your own company that likely want to move into cybersecurity. Dutch, you are speaking my language, sir. This is why you're going to be on the show. So I have been saying this, preaching this part, especially the internal employee part, especially internal employees at big companies. I don't have, I have zero understanding as to why, especially if you're in a big company and you have open, tons of open positions, why you wouldn't just do an assessment of the people inside your company. I can assure, I did it myself. Uh, a couple of years ago when all these people from these various big retail companies were reaching out to me, asking me, saying, hey, I'm working in the stock room, you know, at pick pick one, right? Target, Walmart, whatever. I'm working in the stock room and I want a job in cybersecurity. What should I do? I'm like, how about reaching out to <laughs> cybersecurity department of this big, huge company that probably has 100 jobs or 100 people or whatever and seeing if you could get in there. Um, and then... You know, leaders should, I think, be looking internally first. Like, hey, putting out, doing hire from within, hire from within, like doing an internal career fair or roadshow or whatever to share with their employees, hey, this is what it's like in cybersecurity. Now, granted, can you do that with every single position? No, but with the positions that are, you know, lighter weight, or roles that are, you know, like not super duper technical that you don't need somebody with 15 years experience, you can easily bring in some of these folks that are sitting in that might be, you know, an admin assistant that's, that's taking security classes or some other person in a different role in your company is doing this stuff. Yeah. I'm all about that. When I speak with candidates and with applicants, um, in particular, people who are trying to switch into cyber they don't understand that they can ask for a job in cybersecurity. They just have to make that effort and talk to the hiring manager of the team and like get over the fact that they might say no. Like I've talked to so many people recently. They're like, oh yeah, I want to get into cyber, but I already asked and they don't have any openings. I'm like, well, why aren't you asking more? Like you gave up? That Mental is so block. depressing. Mental yes, like, block. Man, yeah, get, get over yourself. And like, if you really want this job, learn all you can, bring what you can to the team and be like, I did this, this, and this. Can you use me? And I'm going to take, I'm not taking no for an answer. Kind of like how I did it. I'm like, I begged for a job and I was so annoying. They gave me a job. Like that's, right. 
kind of yeah. how you have to do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just the oil. Marin did it. I did it. You did it. You know, that's we've, how you. We've, did we've it. all we've all had to beg, lie, cheat, and steal. That's it. Right. That's the way- the way of the world <laughs> to get there and and i don't mean like lie cheat and steal in the bad term of the word but yeah. they ask you a question and you go do you know this and you're like yeah totally and then that night you stay up for eight hours like learning everything oh. you can about that domain so tomorrow you can actually have a real conversation about it <laughs> like we've all done it totally. we've all done it exactly exactly um, and, 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 go ahead oh, i was just gonna say oh, so my last three hires have been all internal and uh, Good for you, that's Brian. one of the things that has been has been great. So um, the hardest thing with internal candidates is sometimes you have more than you can actually hire. Uh, right. I, I had I had one position open and I had three internal candidates, and yeah. and you're you're kind of stuck with okay, well, you know, I'm I'm going to get the the best of the three, but then having that conversation with the other two that you know of course had their heart set on that position. And, you know, you're trying to give them, okay, here's, here's the feedback and here are the things you can do to improve. So the next time, you know, you're kind of uh, uh, a shoe in for the next open slot. Uh, but yeah, internal is fantastic. I, mm-hmm. I love hiring internal because mm-hmm. they already know all the systems anyway, most That's of the time. The it makes it, they know the culture, sense. they know the company, they know the systems. Uh, they already like working with people. It's, it's so. a no brainer. <laughs> Indeed. No brainer. I love that, Brent. I love it. Okay, so this is Anthony saying maybe the sh- state or the feds should start a cybersecurity apprenticeship with tier levels. No. <laughs> Stop looking at government to solve your problems. <laughs> government does not solve problems, folks. <laughs> government the government creates problems; they solve nothing. <laughs> Let free enterprise do this. Free enterprise, if free enterprise does this, if we as leaders in our organizations do this, we will bring about change way quicker than government ever will. It's just. A fact. Amen. Actually, if you want to see how how government treats cybersecurity, uh, just run out there, download the NIST SP 800-53 and read through that bundle of joy and you'll see how the government (laughs) approaches cybersecurity. Yeah. It's great it's great material if you want to put yourself to sleep. Yeah. And and by the way, if you want to see how they treat cybersecurity, just go to November 3rd, 2020 and just start looking thereafter. There's there's just enough stuff out there at this point where apparently there were machines that weren't supposed to be connected to the internet that were connected to the internet. They were using Amazon Alexa devices and some polling stations. Um, they had unsecured Wi-Fi. I mean, you know, that's your government at work, folks. And then they fired Chris Krebs, so. And then they fired Chris yeah. Krebs. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> just well done folks commercial to go work for the government <laughs> 535 elected officials that we vote for and all 535 are dumber than dumb <laughs> david says james i actually was interviewed that way before a leader in a company brought me in and we sat at his desk in his office and had a conversation it was a very different approach so he's talking there about you. your coffee approach which is great. And Craig says there's two great technique, James, and I think the candidate respects you in the company, which is true. 
um, making people feel comfortable. Everyone is not a professional interviewer. I say this to leaders all the time when they're like, well, they didn't answer the question. You know, they're not answering questions all day long. They're doing their job. You know, when someone does that, just send them the skit from Ricky Bobby from uh, Talladega Nights when Ricky Bobby does his first interview and he's doing this with his hands. Uh, The car went really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I've been interviewed where it was one-on-one aggressive behavioral panels. The only interview I didn't like was someone was given for the job and they weren't asking me any real questions related to the interview. They were just interviewing me because they legally have to. Oh, I've been in that situation Uh, before. Again, government, government doing its best work to make sure that you waste your time and someone else wastes theirs. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Taryn sounds good, but... And that says action-oriented plus drive for results right there from Naomi. Those are competencies that are not technical. I want to do a quick shout-out, can I? Go for it. All right. So for those who don't know, the NSA does a Cyber Code Breakers Challenge every single year. And 500 and some odd university can register. 500 and some odd universities compete in the Cyber uh, uh, NSA Code Breakers Cyber Challenge. I just got that the University of North Georgia, who won it last year, Whoop whoop cyberhawks, right? <laughs> are in first place and they're leading. They, they have 218,070 points. And in second place um, is a school also out of Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech, with 55,000 points. They are wow. crushing it again. So Go shout Georgia. out to oh, you and to the University of North Georgia, two schools in the top two spots two Georgia for Georgia. Schools. That's back to back years. Um, but for a lot of um, CISOs or people that are looking for talent, University of North Georgia, they probably have some of the smartest cyber kids out there. Unbelievable. Well, congratulations to every to all those folks. Georgia, woo, woo, woo. Cyberhawks. Cyberhawks. Cyber <laughs> I'm a little biased, of course. I'm under cyber council. I'm under cyber council. Like, you know, and I know you're in Georgia, kids. yeah. I know those kids. I was, I was wondering if he was alumni. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I'm thinking of doing my master's there, though. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, folks, it is the top of the hour. We've been here since for 53 minutes. Thank you very so accurate. much for a lively conversation. Brent, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. This was a blast. Thanks, it is awesome. It's always good to have different voices and opinions on here. Um, because that's what we do. We like it. We, we like to have fun on Thursdays. So, folks, Friday we- Eve. Happy Friday, Friday Eve. Eve. Brent has started Indeed. a new tradition. Friday it is Friday, Friday Eve. Eve. <laughs> Brent, you want to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, Renee, Naomi, James, thank you. It's been an uh, an absolute pleasure. Uh, can't wait to uh, dial in another day and see. Uh, you know, I'm going to just have to start following these podcasts every week. So. Thanks again. Thanks, you in. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. Thank you so much, all. Dutch Dutch knows he's going to be on here. <laughs> Dutch, you're already on the show, buddy. You can be honest. Your next comment should be honest. You get on the show, Dutch. We've been chatting. We just got to find a spot for him. He's coming on. So talk to everybody. Have Thanks, a Renee. great day. And Thanks, Renee. Thank you, Renee. Thank you all.